Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. One of, my, one of my favorite weeks all year as we get the chance to journey together from the triumphal entry all the way to the cross and then next weekend together to celebrate the empty grave. Uh, when you walked in, you got a worship folder in it, um, are some notes you can follow along with the message, but also there's a blank piece of paper that's a pastel color. And on it, I just want you to get that out. And during the, our time in the scriptures today, I just wanna invite you to ask God to bring something to mind, either a prayer that you're praying, um, a, a, a Hosanna prayer. God, would you show up and save? I, we need, I need your healing in this area. Or a Hosanna prayer, God, you have saved, thank you. And so it's either a prayer or a petition. And then on your way out, there's a cross in the lobby. And I would just invite you to pin that up on the cross. And we're gonna do a collective art project together over this next week. And, and you'll get to see it next, uh, next weekend for Easter Sunday, all come together, all right? So just get that out and ask God to prompt you. And as he does, I just invite you to write something down on that, either a prayer or uh, a, a petition to God. I started a new book this last week. It's entitled The Hidden Life of Trees. I know, it sounds like an edge of your seat thriller. Um, it actually is a New York Times bestseller, but in it, I'm, I'm reading this book and I'm, I'm finding out all sorts of just fascinating things about trees. And, and as somebody who's spent a lot of time backpacking and around trees, I'm, I'm just captivated by the way that trees interact with each other. It turns out trees talk to each other. Who knew? Um, turns out there's a whole wood wide web on the forest floor. <laughs> Who knew? And here's like, like a few things that, that struck me. Uh, trees actually intentionally share nutrients with each other. Like they're really good neighbors. Did you know that? Or a tree in the forest, when a tree in the forest is growing and it senses that another tree's branches are already in the space, it will stop growing as a way to respect the trees around it. This is amazing. And I read this book and I was thinking to myself, I wish we were more like trees. You know, I, I wish we were a little bit more like trees. I, I mean, just in the last few months, I've had... Um, a friend of mine who's 80 years old, she fell for one of those uh, scams where she gave somebody her banking number and just got just gutted of a bunch of money. And I'm like, who are these people? Like, who does that? Uh, I saw um, on Instagram last week, I saw two college athletes who got to the top of a staircase. They saw a, um, a wheelchair sitting there and they pushed it down the stairs, just destroyed this wheelchair. Who are these people? Like, where does that come from? I, I, like you, was watching earlier this week and saw the news of the shooting in Nashville. And my goodness, I, my, my heart just went out to that church, to those families, to those people. Having ministered in Colorado when there were a number of, of shootings, um, I know the pain of that community and, and just my heart just went out to them. And, and I'm just thinking like, who are these people? People, what kind, of, what kind of world do we live in? Uh, it can be a bit um, weighty at times, can't it? And, and then, and then um, I don't want to be somebody who lives in a glass house and throws stones. You know what I mean? Like, because there's some things in me that I'm not all that proud of either. 
I mean, let's just be honest for a moment. How many of us have, have laid in bed, staring at the ceiling, lamenting over a relationship that went wrong because of something we did? Come on, come on. Um, how many of you have said something that you wish you could take back? Anybody with me? I, um, or, or how many of you, how many of you ha- have lied, just a white lie, because we're in church, to protect ourselves or to make ourselves look a little bit better? Or someone goes, hey, have you read that book or have you watched that movie? Yeah, of course I have, right? Little white lies, right? White lies, as if there is such a thing, whatever that is, you know? Am I alone in that? To protect ourselves. And and so I think there's a a part of all of us where we live in a world where it can be fairly easy to hurt and to wrong the people around us. And and then when that happens, it seems to me like there's often only two ways forward that are proposed. Either just feel the guilt of that, live in the guilt of that, and good luck dealing with it. Or bury your head in the sand of self-denial and pretend like it didn't happen and do your best to just sort of grin and bear it and move forward. A tone-deaf response, it just didn't happen. Don't you wish that there was a better way forward? Don't you wish that when, when you wronged somebody, there was a better way forward than just guilt or denial? And don't, don't you wish that when someone wronged you, there was a way to make things right? There was a pathway that was set forward to say, no, I, I, wanna, I wanna restore what's been fractured and, and what's, been, what's been broken. Well, that's what this offering that we're gonna look at today is all about. If you have your Bible, would you open with me to Leviticus chapter six. Leviticus chapter six. And if you're new with us over these last few weeks leading up to Easter, we've been studying the first seven chapters of the book of Leviticus. And the book of Leviticus follows the book of Exodus and Exodus ends with a tabernacle being constructed, God's presence coming to dwell in the tabernacle, but the people of God unable to enter into God's presence. So there's this glorious um, visitation of God. And then there's this awful inability from the people to enter into the presence of God. And Leviticus essentially answers the question, How do we become the kind of people who can enter into the presence of God? And the short answer to that is we bring an offering. An offering is a drawing near thing. And the book of Leviticus starts with a series of five different offerings or sacrifices. And as we've been saying throughout this whole series, these five sacrifices at the beginning of Leviticus, they paint pictures that create a pathway of how to enter into God's presence. And today we're studying the last of those offerings and it's called the guilt offering or the restoration offering or the reparation offering. And we'll explain why it has so many different names as we jump in today. Leviticus chapter six, starting in verse one. Are you there? Wonderful. Listen to the way the scriptures read. It says, and then, Mo- then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, If anyone sins and commits a breach of faith against the Lord, everybody say against the Lord, Lord. by deceiving his neighbor in a matter of deposit or security or through robbery, or if he's oppressed his neighbor, or if he's found something lost and lied about it, swearing falsely in any of the things that the people do and sin thereby. So notice, here's the context of what we're talking about. We're talking about what happens when 
we lie? What happens when we oppress? What happens when we take advantage of people? What happens when we treat people in a way that does not align with the way God's designed that we treat people? And and these are significant issues when it comes to interacting with God. In fact, of the 10 commandments, at least two are directly reflected in Leviticus chapter six. Command number eight, you shall not steal. Talks about stealing. Command number nine, you shall not bear false witness. But here's what I want you to notice. According to Leviticus 6, when you lie to somebody, when you take advantage of somebody, when you oppress somebody, when you use your power to manipulate or dominate or take something from another person that isn't rightfully yours, the book of Leviticus calls that a breach of faith against whom? The Lord. So, so it's not just that you've, you've wronged someone else, it's that you've sinned against, against the Lord. And it turns out that you and God and others are like three strands braided together that you cannot unconnect. They're so connected that it would be impossible for you to come and genuinely worship God if you are treating the people around you poorly. Let me say it like this. You can't worship God if you're treating people like garbage. It's not difficult, it is impossible, impossible. See, worshiping God and loving people are inseparably connected. They're inseparably connected. And and I think if we step back a little bit, this makes sense to us. Because you couldn't say to me, hey Ryan, um, I really respect you and I I really wanna honor you and and I want us to be good friends and then turn around and, and treat my kids like garbage. Like that that just wouldn't work. And you know what? God says the exact same thing. You can't say that you honor me. You can't say that you love me and then turn around and treat my kids like garbage. And according to the scriptures, that all of humanity is his offspring. So they're all his kids. So you can't treat people like garbage and then come and worship God because worshiping God and loving people are intricately connected. Listen to the way that John put it. John writing to the churches says, "If, if anyone says, I love God, and then he turns around and he hates his brother, he's a what? Liar. Not like he's a little bit off. He's lying to you. He's lying to you. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he's not seen. And this is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must, everybody say must. Must must love, must also love his brother. Those are really strong words. And I don't wanna, I don't wanna try to twist them to make them land a little bit softer today. I actually want to invite us to just fully lean in. Say, God, are are there any ways that I'm lying to myself and others by saying that I'm worshiping you, that I love you, but but I'm treating the people around me in hatred. I'm treating them like garbage. I'm, I'm lying, I'm deceiving, I'm manipulating, I'm taking advantage. God, are there any ways that I'm saying I'm worshiping you, but I'm not loving the people around me? See, this was a big deal for the community of faith. So so I think the question becomes, well, 
if we find ourselves in that place where we do take advantage of people, where we do treat people poorly, what's the path forward? I'm so glad you asked that. Listen to the way the passage continues. Verse four, if he sinned and realized his guilt and will restore what he took by robbery or what he got by oppression or the deposit that was committed to him or the lost thing that he found or anything about which he sworn falsely, he shall restore it in full and shall add a fifth to it and give it to him who belongs to him. It belongs on the day he realizes his guilt and he shall bring to the priest as his compensation to the Lord, a ram without blemish out of the flock or its equivalent for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord and he shall be forgiven for any of the things one may do and thereby become guilty. Here's what I want you to notice. There's a very specific order that's given in this sacrifice. If you wrong somebody, first go make it right with them. Then come bring your offering to God. And the order matters. The order matters. In fact, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he tells this story. He says, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you. So in that moment, you're bringing your offering. And in that moment you go, oh my goodness, I just remembered that I wronged somebody. What are you supposed to do? Here's what he says, leave your gift and there at the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and make your offer your gift before God. First, make things right. Then bring your offering. Jesus is referring to the order reflected in Leviticus chapter six, in the guilt offering, in the restoration offering, in the reparation offering. Our worship can't be genuine if we're at odds with people that God loves. We can't treat people like garbage and then come worship God and think that he's gonna be okay with that. He's just simply not. And here's what we're gonna do today. We're gonna dance with this passage in Matthew chapter five and Leviticus chapter six, because they're talking about the same idea. So we're gonna bring those together. We're gonna dance with them a little bit and we're gonna figure out how do we become the kind of people when things do go wrong, not, not, not if things go wrong, but when, because we're an imperfect community, aren't we? If you're new to us, let me just, I'm just gonna burst your bubble right now. We are an imperfect community. At some point, somebody in this church will probably hurt you, wound you, wrong you in some way. And the question becomes, how do we make it right when it's gone wrong? We're not gonna be perfect, but we can. We can respond well when we wrong others. And here's what that looks like. Here's what that looks like. Verse four, let's dive into the details. He says, if he sinned and he realizes his guilt, and will restore what he took by robbery that he got by oppression or the deposit that was committed to him or the lost thing that he found or anything about which he sworn falsely, he shall restore it in full. Time out right there. This phrase realizes his guilt is really, really significant. It's the idea of coming to terms with what we've done or where we've been. Uh, and it may be the, the spirit prompting us to come to that realization. It may be somebody coming into our life and speaking a word of truth. I think of um, like, like the prophet Nathan who confronts David and says, David, you are that man. You're the person who took advantage 
of another man's wife. You're that guy. Or, or it may be somebody confronting us with a wrong that we didn't even realize we'd done. And when that happens, there's a lot of onus on the person in this passage to take responsibility for what they've done. And that when you're in the wrong, seek to make things right. When you're in the wrong, seek to make things right. And I think it's easy, isn't it, to get into this position of feeling bad or wanting to remain a little bit distant where we just go, okay, I'm just gonna minimize what I did. It wasn't that bad. Or I'm gonna blame others. Um, Really, the reason I did that was because they did this to me. Or what I did wasn't nearly as bad as what other people have done. And we immediately try to distance ourselves from the offense. But what we see here is a person coming to terms with the way they've hurt and wronged somebody else and just simply owning it, owning it and going, that's where I was and that's what I did. And I'm really, really sorry that that's the way that I treated you. We have got to be people that own our wrong. But here's the other thing I want you to see that The person in Leviticus 6 is not just assuming that at some point, this will just be water under the bridge, right? At some point, they'll forget about it. At some point, it'll be distant enough where the offense won't be all that big of a deal. The lie, the deceit won't be all that big of a deal. And and just maybe, maybe we can push it off far enough to where the weight of it is lightened. How many of you know that oftentimes when there's a wrong that's done, it doesn't lessen over time. The weight of it actually grows over time. It becomes more and more significant. And so the scriptures are calling us to be people who take initiative when we're in the wrong to seek to make things right. I love the way that Paul would write this in the book of Romans. He says this, if possible, if possible, Because here's what he knows and what you know is that it's not always possible. If possible, so far as it depends on you, because it doesn't only depend on you, does it? There's other people who are involved. When there's a wrong that's done, there are other people who are impacted. But if possible, and so far as it depends on you, live what? Peaceably. Live peaceably with all People do whatever is within your power to live at peace with all people. Let me remind you, let me remind you that forgiveness takes one. Who's that one? Raise your hand, raise your hand. It's you, it's you. You can choose to forgive from the heart. Forgiveness takes one, but reconciliation of bringing back together always takes at least two, at least two. But by committing to taking initiative, we're saying back to God, God, I see how important it is to you that I treat people well. So when I'm in the wrong, I'm gonna do whatever I can to make it right. So let me just pause and ask, is there anybody that you need to commit to making things right with? Is there anybody that you've wronged, that that the spirit of God would even prompt you right now to say, gosh, after this service is over, I've got to make a phone call. I've got to go visit someone. Because when we're in the wrong, we're called to make it right. Second, second, listen to what he says. He says, on the day that he realizes his guilt. Everybody say, on the day. day. 
on the day, like right away, this is the same point Jesus makes in Matthew chapter five, that when you're bringing your offering, when you're in that moment, in the sanctuary, in the temple, when you're in that moment and you realize, leave your offering there and go immediately and make things right with the people around you. What's his point? What's his point? What's the pathway forward? Pursue restoration as quickly as possible. Pursue restoration as quickly as possible. And aren't there times where we go like, I'll see them again next week. And when I do, we'll, we'll have a conversation. Or if I get the opportunity to make things right, um, I'll do my best to do that. And what the scriptures are saying is, no, that's not good enough. Take initiative and do it as quickly as possible. And I think there's at least two reasons for that. One is, is really, really practical, and we've already mentioned it. It's that oftentimes the longer things go unaddressed, the harder they are to resolve. I mean, we've seen that even in our own country in talks about reparations. We've seen that. We've seen that in post-apartheid at South Africa, where they've done their best to make reparations. And it's really, really hard. When things go on for a long time, it is hard to restore relationships that have been broken. But there's a spiritual reason for it as well. And here's the way that Paul addressed it in Ephesians chapter four. He said, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Quick time out. Put away falsehood, speak truth. These are Leviticus chapter six categories, aren't they? He's talking guilt offering types of situations. For we are all members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Address it as quickly as possible. If you can do it that day, address it that day. Why? Why? He says, and give no opportunity to the devil. This word opportunity could more literally be translated foothold. That's the idea where you give the devil a place to, to, to dig his heels into your life. Here, here's the way I want to, uh, the picture I want to paint for you. When you harbor bitterness and anger, you create the type of environment that the devil flourishes in. He's allowed then to plant his seeds and to bear his bitter fruit in your life and in the lives of others in a way that causes you to move towards death instead of life. And when you choose to forgive, when you choose to address anger, when you choose to confront a wrong, you are doing spiritual warfare. You are saying to the enemy of your soul, I'm gonna do whatever I can to make my heart and the habitat of my heart um, unresponsive space to the seeds that you want to plant in me. I'm doing my best to rid my life of anger so that the seeds of the kingdom of the gospel can take root and that the seeds of bitterness and anger have no place in me. So let me ask you again. Is there any way, any person, any situation that you sense God would have you to address? Any way you're harboring anger or bitterness? Because when we address wrongs quickly, we eliminate the need for revenge. <laughs> because people typically want revenge because they want to be made right and they want to be made whole. 
But if we take the initiative to say, I wanna do my best to make you right and make you whole, we eliminate the need for somebody to feel like they need to get revenge. One last thing. It's interesting to me that in this uh, guilt offering, we're called to add a fifth to it. Now, I don't get exactly how this happens. Like if, if you borrow somebody's ox and you work the ox to death, I can see how you would repay them an ox. But how do you give 20% of an ox? Is it just like the legs? You're like, hey, here you, here you go. The leg. Uh, I, I don't exactly know the details of how this worked out, but you're called to add a fifth to it. And notice, and notice, that wasn't all that you were called to give. When you wrong somebody, you're called to pay back what you've taken or the way that you've wronged. You're called to add 20% to it. And then you bring an offering to God on top of that. That was a lot to ask of somebody. So the wrong that you repay is way more costly than the wrong that you've perpetrated. And I think what God wants to sort of weave into his people is a desire to say, we want to do our best not to wrong the people around us because we believe that God's created everybody in the image of God. He cares about them deeply. He loves them deeply. And when things go wrong, it's not only hard to make them right, it also breaks his heart. But why add a fifth? I mean, in modern day vernacular, we might say that that's, like punitive damages or damages for pain and suffering that go above and beyond what the actual offense was. It's interesting, they they did a study a while back where they had contestants and they would have other contestants, they'd pair them together and you would go up to the other contestant and you'd pinch their finger and they would measure how hard you pinched. And then they would say to you, go and pinch the other person's finger with the same pressure that your finger was pinched with. And here's what they found. Every time somebody responded, they pinched the other person's finger harder than their finger had been pinched. It turns out pain experienced is a lot more significant than pain inflicted. That we feel it more than what's actually being done. And I think what this offering is building in to it is a recognition. Listen, when you wrong somebody, it's gonna take more to make them whole and more to make them right than it seems reasonable to you or it seems equitable to you. It turns out it's not just eye for an eye, it's eye for an eye plus 20% of an eye. That's how to make someone whole. Right? And here's the calling for us as, as followers of Jesus is to make amends by seeking to make others whole. Even if it seems costly and even if it seems over the top, to be willing to go above and beyond to make someone else whole. Now, ideally, this is one of the reasons that we have insurance, right? That when we drive and when we accidentally hit somebody else, that our insurance company makes them right and makes them whole and then adds 20% to our premium (laughs) in order to be biblical, right? That's the way things go. But no, we wanna live in a world where people who are wronged are made right. There was this time where Jesus was walking through a village and and there's this 
a guy named Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he and he climbed up in a sycamore tree to see what he could see and Jesus came by and Zacchaeus responded to Jesus and the scriptures say that Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone, that's Leviticus 6 type of language. If I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house since he's also a son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. He's saying, Zacchaeus, you get it. You get it. The gospel is starting to take root in your soul. How do we know? Because the people that you've taken advantage of, the people that you've wronged, you're doing whatever is within your power to live at peace with them. Whatever is within your power to make sure that the wrongs you were a part of, you do the best to right. And Zacchaeus reminds us that restoration is costly. It's costly. And I think it's costly, not just in in a monetary sense. I mean, that's what Leviticus 6 is sort of built around, but... I think we'd all agree that restoration is costly in an emotional sense too. A swallowing of our pride to go back and say to somebody, I didn't treat you well and I'm really sorry. To go to say to somebody, I've I've slandered or gossiped about you and I'm asking for your forgiveness, but I'm also willing to go talk to these other people that I've talked to, to make things right. A willingness to say, Listen, I I really hurt you and it wasn't my intention, but I'm sorry and I'm willing to do whatever you need in order for you to feel like you're back to whole. See, here's the thing, you guys. We don't live in a perfect world, do we? We don't live in a world where we always do what we want to do or what we think is right. And sometimes we wrong people. And my guess is you've experienced that in your homes, in families, in your workplaces, in your schools. And the question is not, are we going to wrong each other? If we're around each other enough, we probably will. The question is, what do we do when we do wrong someone? How do we move forward? How do we do our best to honor each other and honor Jesus when we are in the wrong? And here's the path forward that's set forward in this sacrifice that when we're in the wrong, we take initiative to do whatever is within our power to make it right. Second, we do it as quickly as possible because the longer things fester, the more they grow and the harder they are to deal with. And finally, we do whatever is within our power to make people right. That's our goal as followers of Jesus. And I'm struck by this fact that Jesus says in his little story in the Sermon on the Mount. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there you remember. And I think he's pointing out something that many of us have experienced, but maybe haven't been able to name. And it's that God does unique work when we're gathered with other believers. He does unique work when we center our lives around the scriptures and we say, God, I just, I wanna, I wanna hear from you. I wanna attend to your spirit. I wanna ask 
that you would speak. He does unique work when we gather in spaces like this. And I think one of the things he's saying in the Sermon on the Mount is when God speaks to you in a moment like this, where you have clarity around something that you've said or done or something that's been done to you, when you have clarity or revelation, don't let that moment pass you by. Intend to respond to it. Decide, God, I'm going to act out on this because you've revealed something to me. It also should heighten our expectation that he might just speak to us as we gather together as a whole body to hear from him. Act on the revelation you gain, even the revelation you gain today. And listen again to the way that this sacrifice ends. He says, and he shall bring to the priest his compensation to the Lord, a ram without blemish of the flock or its equivalent for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord. And he shall be forgiven for any of the things one may do and thereby become guilty. What a statement. Remember, our worship is a convergence of of both vertical, God, I'm worshiping you, and horizontal, the way that I treat people around me. And this sacrifice paints a picture of when we do our best to make things right with those around us. God invites us more fully into his presence to experience his goodness and to respond to him in worship. See, when we honor people, we are able to draw near to God. And over the last few weeks, I've suggested to you that that Jesus is the, the fulfillment of all of these sacrifices in the book of Leviticus, that he's the fulfillment of the burnt offering. He's the fulfillment of the grain offering. He's the fulfillment of the peace offering. He's the fulfillment of the sin offering. And today I want to suggest to you that he is also, spoiler alert, the fulfillment of the guilt offering. And remember, the guilt offering is all about bringing people together who are at odds with one another, bringing people together, and then rising together in worship of God. Well, listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. He said, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You who were once far off, who were distant from God, you've been brought near. A a drawing near thing has been given. An offering has been made. The blood of Jesus, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. In the context, it's Jews and Gentiles who are at odds with one another, brought together through the blood of Jesus to then worship as one church, one body together. He did this by abolishing the law and commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two so that making peace and he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. What a picture, you guys, that he brings us together that we don't have to try to muster up our own energy to try to forgive one another or make things right with one another. What we have to do is we have to look to the cross. 
The very place that we were forgiven, the very place that we were made right, the very place that God took all of our sin and put it on Jesus and paid the penalty for it in full and then walked out of the grave with new life in his hands. We look to the cross as we seek to figure out how to interact with one another. And it's in that that we see this beautiful convergence where we become a community of faith, where we are seeking to forgive as we have been forgiven. And we are seeking to make things right when we are in the wrong. And when you bring those two things together, you have the potential for something beautiful. Not something perfect, but something beautiful that when we're in the wrong, we seek to make it right. When we're wronged, we seek to forgive. And we trust God's grace to carry us in all of it. I wish that we were a little bit more like trees. But the truth is we're human beings. And as we seek to make it right when we're in the wrong, I trust that he will build us into oaks of righteousness. Over the last few weeks, we've been on this journey together. We've seen in these first chapters of Leviticus, the, this burnt offering. It's this anthem back to God, I surrender all. The grain offering is God, I, I trust you. I trust you. With my very life, I trust you. The peace offering is God, thank you for the way that you're at work in all the brokenness and the mess of life. Thank you for the way that you're showing your grace and mercy, even in that. The sin offering is God, cleanse me, wash me white as snow. And then today, the guilt offering, I am committing to loving others. And when I'm in the wrong, to make it right. And I would suggest to you that when you put all of these together, what you have is an altered life. A life where you say back to God, God, I wanna live as a living sacrifice to you, holy and pleasing to you. This is my spiritual act of worship. Would you take all of me as an offering to you? My hope is that as we journey towards the cross and the empty tomb together, and we dwell on this first few chapters of Leviticus, God would stir in your heart a desire to live as a sacrifice to him. Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.